not hearing the intro music there, Pete. I don't know if you're aware of that. From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome. We here at the Wealth DNA Radio Show are honored that you're joining us today. Whether you're on the U.S. or Canadian West Coast, where our guest is, you're in Arizona where I am, or probably at that point you're sipping a cup of coffee, you're on the U.S. East Coast taking a lunch break in Europe ending your work day, you're somewhere in between, or you're listening to the archive of this show, I know you'll be glad you joined us for this hour. Now, if you're listening to the archive into a 2020 or later, you'll be able to look back and see how this show could have helped you increase your wealth by listening live in August of 2015 and taking advantage of the source of OPM that we'll be discussing. OPM, of course, is not the narcotic, narcotic, uh, or at least it should not be addicting. It is uh, other people's money. Now, on the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we focus on the fundamentals of investing and providing great ideas for building your wealth. Today, we'll focus on another source of OPM that 90%, 98%, I would say, of the population is not even aware of, let alone taking advantage of. Could it be mere coincidence that only 2% of the population will ever be wealthy? And I'm confident that you and our other listeners will be among that 2%. Now, regular listeners know that we like to start each show by sharing a quote to set the tone for the show's topic. Here are two very different quotes, both related to our topic. The first, I love money more than the things it can buy. But I love more than money is other people's money. Let me repeat that. I love money more than the things it can buy. But what I love more than money is other people's money. That quote is from Lawrence Garfield, a corporate raider. Now, the second quote, totally different uh, direction here. Once your kids are grown and you know that you're completely healthy, consider canceling your life insurance policy. In case you think you misheard that, let me repeat it. Once your kids are grown and you know that you're completely healthy, consider canceling your life insurance policy. Now, that quote is from Susie Orman. Now, many listeners know I'm not a big fan of Susie Orman. Her advice is actually fine for people with low, very low, I'd even say wealth DNA, or they're addicted to spending every dollar they get. Now, it's not a usually appropriate and this is a good quote for, to, to explain that uh, comment of mine, for savers investors like you or me. And this quote is no exception to that uh, statement. Yes, when you have growing kids, life insurance is very important so that your family would have some assets or income as a backup plan if something happened to you. And it's also true that backup plan is less important when your kids grow. But who is ever so completely healthy that they'll never die? Besides, this, like most basic financial advice, leaves out the alternative uses for that money, or in this case, the alternative uses for that life insurance policy, 
We'll cover at least one aspect today. Today is Monday, August 10th, 2015. First show since I've returned from my two-month stay in Europe. It is 9.04 a.m. in Arizona and likewise 9.04 a.m. on the U.S. West Coast where our, uh, he's actually on the Canadian West Coast, but uh, where our guest is. It's the only day ever like it. We'll do everything possible to make it a great one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. Now, if you didn't receive a reminder of the show, you should connect with us on Twitter or on Facebook, excuse me, where we post reminders. Just connect with The Ronald, all one word, The Ronald, put together a single word. We'd like to thank our sponsor today, PI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss a show, like the two recent ones we did on OPM, which of course stands for Other People's Money, you can find them on the archives. Just go to wealthdna.us where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Now, I'm still having some difficulty finding some of the archived shows on our new website, but they're there. We'll keep, you, we'll keep improving that site for you. And for me, we welcome your comments and questions during the show. I recommend using the chat window below the radio player, and that is up. Or you can call in, and that number is on the website. It is 917-388-4162. And uh, our producer will put you through, or he'll relay your comment or question. Now, since our last show, the U.S. equity markets have fluctuated a bunch. They flashed a very clear sell signal and ended just where they started. Today, the U.S. markets are off to a very positive start, excuse me, over 1%. Asia was up with the Shanghai market up nearly 5%. Europe, which is closed, uh, up fairly sharply in some of the markets, and Brazil is up. Our guest today to discuss OPM and infinite banking is Thomas DeShooter, a partner at Bloom Strategies, a financial advisory firm in Vancouver. He helps his clients achieve a sustainable personal wealth and specializes in guiding clients who want to create intergenerational wealth. So unless you don't like your kids, he probably focuses on stuff you're interested in. Thomas is a husband, father to twins, an accomplished musician, and serves as the vice chair of the Small Business Council of the Vancouver Board of Trade. Uh, well, how about if we give a warm radio welcome? Thomas Dushuter, welcome, Thomas, and thank you for joining us today. Good morning. How is everybody? Well, I hope they're doing as well as I am. And uh, you sound you sound pretty good, and sound like you're uh, ready and raring to go. Uh, yeah, definitely had a great uh, had a great weekend. It's uh, the weather's been beautiful, and uh, nothing like a fresh Monday morning to um, get the brain fired up. You bet. Now, I gave a brief overview of your background. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, usually, it's I tell people I'm a financial strategist, and then they'll they'll look at me kind of sideways and wonder what that is, and and then I'll tell them, well, what I do is I I help people to set up independent banking systems so that they can capitalize on their money, the same way that banks and credit card companies do. Mm, good, good intro because one of the objectives of an intro or an elevator uh, speech, as we often talk about in the uh business world is to get somebody to say, well, tell me more. And an independent banking system definitely sounds like something I'd want to know more about or I should know more about. So, our, so that our listeners have a better feel for your background and your perspective, uh, can you share a little bit about your education and any professional certifications you might have um, gotten along the way? 
yeah, maybe I'll start off with a, a little a little overview. As I was I was a uh, an accomplished musician and spent uh, a great deal of my time uh, playing music and and touring um, Canada and some parts of the United States. And uh, and then I met my I met my my wife and I decided that um, I wanted to have children and a family and I wanted to feed them. So after spending years as a, as an entrepreneur and in, uh, in that I always had my own source of work while I played uh, while I played music, um, I decided to uh, get some education. I, I took some accounting courses and then I found a great interest in the stock market and, and began to get all my licensing um, around uh, becoming a traditional stockbroker. That was about 15 years ago. And I have the uh, PFP or the professional financial planning designation and um and I think what's important is I, I, I partnered with somebody who's, uh, who's younger than I am. So I also have uh, some gray hair, which helps in our industry. But my business partner is, uh, he's, a, he's about uh, 18 years younger than myself. And he has a, he's, he's got the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner, and the Chartered Investment Management uh, Criteria for Canada on, um, on, on managing portfolios as a discretionary manager. So between the two of us, we have a great deal of, uh, I'd say, experience and knowledge in our office. Okay. Now, I mentioned some of the key points in the introduction around our topic, but to make sure listeners just don't tune out as we dig into some of the details, give us a brief answer to the big question, why? Specifically, why should an investor be interested in infinite banking or, as you said, in setting up independent banking systems? Uh, yeah, we have a one-word answer for that, and that's driver seat. We want our clients and, frankly, everybody we meet to be in the driver's seat when it comes to decision-making on how they're going to use their money, when they're going to access their capital, and how they're going to control paying back their capital, um, and just the flexibility that goes around when you are the source of your own financing needs. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. I think that, that should get some people's interest to say, all right, maybe I need to know more about this. Being in the driver's seat is definitely better than having somebody push you in the direction they want you to go. Now, I, I guess we can look at infinite banking from the perspective of two different groups. First of all, the consumer who wants to borrow money for a car or a TV or maybe a bigger home, or the investor who might be interested in, in, in borrowing at a low cost and investing, which uh, we uh, often refer to as OPM, a, a good way to borrow borrow low and use that to earn higher returns. Which group is more li likely to contact you and take advantage of infinite banking or uh, being your own banker, as it's often called? Um, so this is this is suitable for for both parties. And if you go back, you know, it's not it's not that far in the distant past that we had the financial crisis of two thousand and eight. And, um, you know, I can't speak for exactly how the banking system was operating in the U.S. at that time. But I know in Canada, money became very difficult to get a hold of. You bet. Banks were not lending. Uh, all of the mortgages or mortgage products that were available in Canada got restructured. There was no more prime minus mortgages. It was pretty much you know, straight mortgages going back to, you know, 40, 50 years ago. And that was it if you qualified. Right. Now, the, you know, the challenge was, is that we had a market at that time where the stock market was 
as, as we all know, was seeing red on a daily basis and dramatic losses um, in the markets were happening. And you couldn't access capital. So whether you were somebody who was on the consumer side or you were somebody who wanted an opportunity to get money to put into a market at these lows, you couldn't really access capital unless you had the money yourself. Right. The great thing about building up your own banking system, and as you touched on it, it's through the use of an insurance product, is that written into the contract is that you have first right to access your capital before the insurance company can use your capital for something else. Because what they need to do is the insurance company needs to take your premiums and invest it for the long term. They need long term re returns because they're basing it on, you know, if somebody's 30 years old, they're going to live, you know, if it's a male, their, their life expectancy is sometime around 82 years of age. Right. So we need to take this money and invest it for the next 52 years. I don't need to earn, you know, a 50% return by tomorrow. I need to have this money available in 52 years is how they look at it. Mm -hmm. So if they can uh, if they can lend that money out to their own policyholders where they're getting a decent return on it for themselves, um, it's better for them because they know where the capital is. They have they've used the uh, the capital inside the policy as collateral. But the great thing is, is the consumer or the investor can access their money at any time. So if you go back to 2008, if you had one of these policies structured correctly with cash value in it, all you needed was a one-page form and the ability to either fax it in or send it by email, and the money was in your account within five business days. Wow. Okay. That, I think that adds a huge amount to the why, and I think your example of 2008, I mean, it was just... Uh, it still hasn't fully recovered. Uh, the, the, the banking system is still very, very tight with the money, and they're sitting on a lot of excess reserves, but they don't want to lend it out, and there could be a variety of reasons. But before we dig more into specifics, let's share with our listeners how they'd contact you, learn more about you, learn more about Bloom Strategies and this whole infinite banking. Some websites or email contact uh, info? Uh, yeah, so our website is uh, www.bloomstrategies.ca. That's all one word, bloomstrategies.ca. And, um, and my email address is tdeshooter at bloomstrategies.ca. Uh, and as far as other um, information, uh, I would I would have people just go to infinitebanking.org or the Nelson Nash Institute. If they Google that, they will find uh, great information on the infinite banking concept. And two things on that, just to make sure we get the contact information right, that is CA at the end of Bloom Strategy, as you are in Canada. And also, let's spell your last name in case people don't have the announcement. It is, uh, so it's T, DeShooter is D-E-S-H-U-T-T-E-R, just to make sure we get that right. Because uh, email is very picky about being spelled right. Yeah, slight, uh, slight change. It's D-E-S-C-H-U-T-T-E-R. Oh, I thought I said that. Okay, my apologies if I didn't. Uh, so I'm not going to go back and replay what I said. Let's just uh, move on with that. You're absolutely right. Now, here's a quick three-part question. How'd you first learn about this concept? Um, you know, w when did you hear about it, and what was your first reaction when you did? Huh, great. So, uh, as I said, I, I started in this uh, in this industry as a broker back in 2001, and um, 
after the 2008 uh, crisis and the recovery of, you know, started in March of 09, where the market started to tick up, I was a traditional financial planner, put your money away, buy investments over the long term, it'll all work out and, you know, you'll have the retirement of your dreams. And, uh, but my, my business partner and I, Ryan Whitmire, we kept looking at each other after 09 going, you know, this just doesn't, you know, I had gone through the tech wreck of 2000 and, um, you know, now we're at 2008 and we're looking at each other thinking, you know, if we do this again, isn't that the definition of insanity is to just keep doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. There must be something we are not seeing, or there's, it just felt like there's something we were missing on a strategy that would be different and, and more beneficial to our clients. So we, we reached out actually to, um, because we were mostly on the brokerage or on the stock side, we didn't, we sort of did insurance by accident. You know, if somebody needed some mortgage insurance or life insurance of some kind or some disability insurance, we looked after it, but mostly our, you know, our focus was on the money side of the business and not mm -hmm. the insurance. So we reached out to one of our partners in the insurance side and, and had this conversation with her and said, you know, we're, re we're really just looking for something different. And she said, I have just the guy for you. So we had a, a gentleman from one of the uh, Canadian insurance companies come in as a, he's a wholesaler. And so he came in to, um, you know, give us the, why we should put all of our clients money with his insurance company. So we had, we had sectioned off an hour of time for this meeting and he came into our office and uh, he sat down and he pulled out this book, Becoming Your Own Banker, the Nelson Nash book. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, have you ever seen this book? I said, no, I've never seen it. And he goes, okay, great. Put it on my table and he said, you read this book, then we'll have something to talk about. And he left. Wow. Which had never, you know, in the history of wholesaling, I don't, <laughs> you know, in my career, sure. nobody had sure. ever done that before. So naturally I was intrigued. I read it over that weekend. This is August of 2013. Okay. I read it over that weekend. I brought it in Monday morning. I said to Ryan, I'm not going to say anything, just read the book. And then we'll talk about how, how it, you know, how it hits you. Cause I know how it impacted me. Uh, he read the book over the next two days on Wednesday morning, we had a meeting and we looked at each other, both going, why hasn't anybody told us about this mm -hmm. before in this industry? And how do we turn our business into this model because this is the most sensible thing I've ever read in terms of financial planning. And, uh, well, you definitely answered those. Yeah. All right. But okay. So that's exactly two years ago, uh, exactly yeah. as we can get within August, 2013, here we are in 2015. Now our, a lot of our listeners have not heard about this and they're not necessarily going to go get the book since it's not sitting on their coffee table. Um, Explain to us, is this a new concept that had just come about two, three years ago? And, uh, you know, you, we've used several terms. I've mentioned a few, infinite banking and being your own banker, and, and of course, Nelson Nash, who's, who's kind of the, the, the start of this whole thing. Tell us a little bit, you know, when did this all get started? Um, so uh, Nelson Nash is, is, I guess, really the person that's brought it to the forefront. Um, uh but it's always been available. You have always been able to take a whole life insurance policy and against the cash values that you have in that policy, use it um, to borrow against. You don't have to cash it out. You can actually access the money just by borrowing against your capital. And if you, um, you know, I, I might date myself here, but if you look at It's a Wonderful Life, the movie, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there is of course a scene in there where 
there's a run on the banks and, right. uh, and, and he goes over to Potter to, you know, see how he can get some money from Potter. And he says, I have this life insurance policy. And that was, he was talking about a whole life insurance policy. Mm-hmm. Whole life has been around for, you know, a better part of 150 years. It's the oldest financial product that we have in all of the financial planning products. Um, and it's always been that you could borrow against the policy value. It's just never been set up in a way where people actually focus on, ah, I can build my wealth in here. I have a great place to store my capital. It's true savings. And now when I need my money, I have two options. One is I can cash it out and take the cash out and spend the cash. Or if I don't want to do that, I can actually borrow against this policy, either from the insurance company directly, or you can walk down the street to your local bank and they will take it as collateral. Okay. So all right. So it's, it's 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 been around a long time. It's just that really it not not brought to the forefront as to how we would take advantage of this thing. Well, yeah, and and really, if you're you know the banking system uh, in North America, and you know, I can't speak for Europe and the rest, but I know in North America the banking system does the bulk of our financial planning for people. Is right. there any benefit to them explaining to you that you could set up this policy and borrow money against it, therefore? basically putting themselves out of business? Well said. No. Well said. Obviously a rhetorical question, and we know the answer to that. But let me remind our listeners, you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. If you missed some of the prior shows, like the recent ones we had on OPM, or if you want to re-listen, we maintain an archive of shows on WealthDNA.us. There you'll get an... Um, um, you can sign up for or you can send me an email to get reminders of shows. Ron at WealthDNA.us is the email address. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. And you can also follow The Ronald, all one word, no spaces, on Twitter or Facebook. Now, during the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, to ask questions. And I haven't been, I've been listening so carefully, I haven't been paying as much attention to uh, the chat window. But there's a chat window below the radio player that you can put in your uh, your questions or comments. And uh, also, you can call in 917-388-4162, also shown at the top of the internet screen. Our topic today is OPM and infinite banking, which we're discussing with Thomas DeShooter, a financial advisor and partner at Bloom Strategies in Vancouver, helps his clients sustain uh, achieve sustainable personal wealth and specializes in guiding them to create intergenerational wealth. Now, Thomas, let's go back because we, we, we just touched a little bit on the fact that you kind of happened into insurance by, by chance, but when we hear the word insurance, we think of several types. Um, April, one of our uh, properties burned, uh, one of the investment properties, so I tend to think of property and casualty as the first one. Others, of course, because of this whole Obamacare in the U.S. or um, you know just the general need for health insurance, think of health insurance. Others think of life insurance. Which of those are you working with? Uh, yeah, so in, in terms of the infinite banking concept, we use uh, life insurance and we use something known as whole life insurance. And there's really uh, three types of life insurance. Um, do you want me to go into those? And, sure, yeah, definitely definitely touch on it, people. We, we need okay. to know this stuff, sure. Great, so you have term life. Term life is, uh, a, you know, you're basically insuring somebody's life for a specified period of time, either, mm-hmm. you know, traditional or the, the average policies are 10 years, 20 years, or maybe a term 100 where you'll have term coverage till the age of 100. Um, and there's no savings mechanism in there. Really, you're just renting insurance. Good term. That's all you're doing. 
Um, then you have something called uh, permanent insurance. So there's two structures for permanent insurance. There's universal life and there's whole life. And I'll start with the universal life. That came out uh, maybe 20, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, universal life was started. And what, what you do is you have a policy where you will be insured for the duration of your life. So at some, you know, when you do die, there will be a payout. Okay. Inside of that, you can put in ad- additional cash and you can select investment choices inside of a universal life policy. So traditionally, what it is is mutual funds or some CDs, as they're called in the U.S., or GICs, as they're called in Canada, right? Um, and uh, so you can put your extra cash in there and you can invest it. But um, And there's some risks, of course, associated with that because you are, in fact, choosing the investments. And if it's in, the, if it's in mutual funds, then you're traditionally back in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Then there's whole life, which is also permanent insurance. And this is where you have a set uh, a set amount of premiums like the universal life, except that those premiums on un- on whole life include extra cash that's going to a savings vehicle. And so you automatically start to have cash buildup inside of a whole life policy. And the investments uh, or the money that's going into the cash side of the policy is actually managed by the insurance company themselves. So it's managed much differently than you picking mutual funds. Mm -hmm. Those are really the three types of life insurance. We use whole life. And the the, the major reason that we use whole life is that uh, we want to be in partnership with the insurance company on how the money is being uh, managed. We don't want to use universal life, even though you can build up cash in there and you can still borrow against it. You have volatility and you have all of the investment risk, which most people already have in their 401ks or in their RSPs up in Canada. They already have that risk. We don't want to add any more to it. Okay, well said. So universal life or whole life could work. Uh, your preference is the whole life. Now, will all providers of whole life insurance equally work equally well, or are some programs set up differently or more, uh, you know, set up more suited for infinite banking? Uh, yeah, so uh, not being a um, a U.S. advisor, I I sure. do know that there's a you know there's there's a larger selection of insurance companies down down south than there is in Canada. What somebody wants to focus on is that it is a mutual insurance company because there's a difference between a mutual insurance company and a publicly traded company. So mm-hmm. um, a publicly traded company serves shareholders first. And a mutual insurance company is owned by the participating policyholders themselves, which are the whole life policyholders. So it's kind of like uh, you mentioned you had an investment property earlier, mm-hmm. right? So, so if, we, if we just back up a bit, term insurance is renting insurance, right? right? And would you rather rent something or own it? Well, I don't build any equity with the rental. And I think that's the, the a good analogy is the cash value is kind of like the equity in that policy. Yes, exactly. So now if you're going to own something, would you rather, you know, in this case, would you rather just own the building or would you rather own the building and the land? Oh, sure. So I'd have gone on yeah. the land as well, of course. Yeah, because I'm now right. controlling my density a little bit more. Okay, good good analogy. I'd never heard that one before. So with, with a publicly traded company, you own the building, but somebody else owns the land. And with a mm-hmm. mutual insurance company, you are you own both. 
you're in partnership on, on both sides of the equation. So first and foremost, we want a mutual insurance company that has a track record. Um, and they're, they're just seem to be managed uh, a little more conservatively in that sense as well. So Mm-hmm. Not driven by quarterly earnings. Give, give us just two examples, not picking on the companies, but I think just maybe in, in terms of Canadian companies so that people can kind of then contrast if they do a little search on the Internet of, of, of a mutual company name versus a, um, a stock traded, uh, you know, a stock company. Great. So in Canada, we use predominantly we use Equitable Life. Um, there's there's uh, another one called Assumption Life or that are mutual insurance companies. And then um, also you might be familiar with Sun Life as a publicly traded company. Sure. Um, and Manulife is also a publicly traded company. Okay, so, good. There's, so there's a couple there's, examples people can contrast uh, just so that we know what we're talking about here. Okay, um, you know, and so really what we're getting down to is the mutual companies you want to focus on. Uh, so let's go to the how-tos. If I want to set up a new policy, because I don't have, uh, you know, I have term insurance or I don't have any insurance or life insurance, uh, how do I set up that new policy for infinite banking? Just give, give us a, a, you know, kind of what's my first steps? Uh, so you'll want to find somebody who's, um, first of all, you want to find somebody who is schooled in the infinite banking concept, not just somebody who says, oh, I, you know, I read about that, I can do it. You want to have somebody who has actually taken the time to, uh, to go through some training. There, be, and and uh, in our office, we've gone through the Nelson Nash or the Institute uh, training on the infinite banking concept. So through that site, you can actually find a practitioner in your state. You can make a search for a practitioner in your area that would be schooled in the infinite banking concept. Um, then you would seek them out. And then, you know, the, the downside to the insurance side is that you have to be insurable or you have to have somebody in which you have an insurable interest that's insurable. Ooh, hang on. Before we touch on that, let me just make sure a very important point. So as you mentioned, their, their website, which is infinitebanking.org, from what you told us earlier, is one yeah. of the places I could find some of those practitioners. So, so there's a good important tip. Uh, so before we touch on the insurable interest and, and you know whether I'm insurable and those kinds of things, let's say I set up that policy. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about those in just a second. How long is it before I can start taking advantage of it where I could actually borrow money? So if I were now in 2008 and uh, there are no mortgages and uh, they cut them out completely for companies buying uh, buying uh, properties, by the way, so uh, that, that restriction is still in place. But so here I am looking for uh, for funding for something and I hear about this infinite banking from you today. Um, and I go ahead tomorrow and set up a new policy or I do it today because I'm anxious. How long before I can start taking advantage of it? Um, so I know from our experience on our side, uh, as soon as you have enough to borrow five hundred dollars out, mm-hmm. you can borrow you can borrow that amount. Okay. So it's it's pretty much as soon as the cash values start to build up, um, you can start to take money. You know, you can start to borrow against that equity or that capital that you've built up inside the policy. Uh, you know, through reading Nelson Nash's material and books, my understanding of the of the U.S. and I'll try to help out your U.S. Sure. listeners a That's little right. bit here is that is that with whole life in the U.S., you can uh, what we call front load the policy. So you can take uh, pieces or large amounts of capital that you may have as cash just sitting in the bank and put that into the policy right in the beginning. And then immediately you could start borrowing against that cash value. 
Okay, that's a, that's kind of a key point I wanted to make sure we touched on there. Uh, now, I'm going to be borrowing against that policy. That is, a, is an important point that you touched on a number of times here. What are some typical interest rates that I might pay? Because, you know, everybody thinks of, uh, you know, borrowing as, as uh, you know, my credit card is 12 or 15 or 20 or 30 percent. Uh, what are the typical interest rates when I'm borrowing from these, loan, from these uh, policies? Um, so if... If you borrow, uh, so I'll give you the Canadian numbers. If you borrow directly from the insurer, so in, in what we call a policy loan, and this is where it's a one-page, you know, one-page piece of paper that you send in, you sign off on, and they lend you the money. Right now, the rates vary between seven and seven and a half percent. Okay. All right. Well, that's not, okay. that's not a huge range. So it's not like uh, in, uh, like credit cards in my example, where they range from about 8% to 30%. That's a, that's a big range, depending on your credit score and all those kinds of things. So we're right. not dealing with the typical financial system. We're dealing with interest rates that I then can, can make money on, um, you know, using, using those funds. Now, if I do, um, if you will, take out that loan, uh, I then would what pay back a monthly amount to to solely pay off that loan and and uh, basically pay the interest and some of the loan back. I mean, what what are the mechanics or what are my options around that? Um, yeah. So what what we stress in our office is that we treat this like you got a you know if, if you're going to go finance a car, you're going to have loan payments to pay it off. Mm-hmm. So if we, we treat it the exact same way. We build up a principal and interest repayment plan for our client and say, this is how much you need to pay monthly and we're going to pay this loan back because we don't want you to, you know, and Nelson Nash uh, sort of puts it in terms of if you've got, if you own a grocery store and, uh, and you start stealing the peas out the back door instead of paying for them, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to end up, you know, destroying the very business that you're trying to build. What we, what we try to get clients to think about is that we're actually, what we're doing is we're building you a banking business. We're building you your own banking business because the interest rate that you're paying to the insurance company on the money you borrowed goes in to their, their, their participating account, which generates returns, which comes back to you in the form of dividends. So in a roundabout way, you're paying yourself an interest rate. I right. understand. And so you're growing the policy um, uh, funding vehicle that pays your, 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 your dividends. But now that, that touches on a very important point. Let's say that I've taken out all of the available cash that I can take out. And I know it's not 100%. Uh, but let's say I've taken out what's, what's available. Do I continue to get dividends or, in essence, uh, the fact that I've borrowed against it, I'm no longer eligible? Uh, yeah. So that amount is 90% of the capital you can borrow okay. out. And, uh, and that's on a whole life, on a universal life, it's typically only 65%, and that's because of volatility. Gotcha. So that's also a key reason why we use whole life. But yeah, your, money, your, your capital is essentially still completely intact with the insurer, and all you've done is borrow against it. So the dividends are derived based on the amount of ownership you have, and that's gotcha. by... A, a combination of cash value and death benefit of the policy. All of that is still intact because at any time, because you can only borrow 90%, you could say, you know what? I want to pay off all of my loan. I'm just going to can I'm just going to cash out the policy. The loan will be paid back. The remaining 10% will be paid out to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So you're still going to generate the same amount of dividend as you would had you not borrowed against the policy. 
Okay, and there's there's a key point. So in other words, I borrowed my money, but I'm still earning money on my capital as if I had not borrowed. So it really is like I'm, yes, I'm paying some interest, but on the other hand, I'm getting paid for the fact that I have this policy, uh, whether I take the loan or not. So there is some, uh, if you will, advantage, and I might be earning more than I'm paying uh, in interest. And and it's in a tax sheltered vehicle. Right. You're not paying taxes annually on that dividend that you're earning. Now, down the road, there could be a taxable uh, liability for it. And that depends on whether you cash it all out or how it's treated. Um, And that's, you know, that is really an ongoing analysis that needs to be done with your advisor as to what is the best tax treatment of this down the road. But um, as you as you borrow the money out, you're you're not having to concern yourself with taxes on what you're earning inside the policy. All right, let me let me go one more kind of what if here. I've borrowed some money out. I followed your instructions. I'm paying a monthly amount in, and and let's say I'm kind of you know 40% paid back. Do I need to pay off the entire amount before I could take another loan against it? So that if I all of a sudden had a great opportunity, I wanted to take. Let's say I am buying a rental property, and I wanted to uh, borrow that um, remaining. A borrowable amount. <laughs> it was a probably terrible yep. term there. I think I just made up a new word for the dictionary here. But you know, I, am I able to do that, or do I first need to pay it off before I can take another loan? So um, no, the insurance company doesn't look at you as if this is a set term loan that has all of these rules and regulations around it. Essentially, you know, to go back just to kind of finish answering your previous question, the terms right, right. that you want to set up for repaying your loan are entirely up to you. Mm-hmm. You cannot go over the 90, 90% value at any time. So if you've, you know, if you've only borrowed 40% and you're paying back that loan and an opportunity comes up for an investment and you want to access you know, more capital, mm-hmm. you, you're free to access that capital and either stay on the same payment terms that you have or alter those payment terms that you've made up. Because mm-hmm. you know, if you go back to the beginning, driver's seat is what we like about this. You get to decide how long you want that loan to be in place, whether you want to pay interest only, which we don't recommend, but you could just simply pay interest only on that if you wanted, or you can have your dividends start to go towards paying back some of that principal as well as you making a payment towards it. So the flexibility of how you want that loan to be structured is really about what's going on in your life and working with your advisor on coming up with what makes the most sense for you at that current time. Very cool. I like that. I would have, I would have added that driver's seat because I really like wrote that term down right at the beginning. So I think what you're saying is I've got uh, a certain maximum that I can borrow, just like I would have a credit limit on my credit card or, or line of credit or anything else. But I have a lot more flexibility of whether I pay it back or how quickly I pay it back. And then a borrowing again, unlike uh, maybe the, the analogy I use is a mortgage. You know, I, I had a $200,000 mortgage. I paid off 30%. And I go to the bank and say, you know what, I'd like to borrow that money. Money back again that we've paid you over these years because um, you know I want to put a new roof on the house or something like that. Uh, yeah, probably the banker would be laughing under his desk and 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 you know uh, I would never get that money back that I've already paid in. What you're saying here is it's kind of like I took my mortgage and if I paid part of it back in, I can now take some more. I maybe even take more than what I had before because my uh, my cash value has grown. Correct. 
That, that's absolutely correct. And at no point, if you're dealing with a policy loan, at no point do you ever have to prove that you're worthy of borrowing the money. You <laughs> automatically are. There's no, point. nobody's looking at you going, oh, are you a good credit risk? Of course you are. They have, they have collateral. They have the collateral in place, right? So they're quite happy to, like I said, they want that money to be invested for the long term. If it's invested to their very own policyholders who are, you know, the loan is fully collateralized, they're happy to take their interest payment from their own policyholders. And if you're a mutual insurance company and you own the insurance company as well, you're feeding your own system, right. essentially. Right. Yeah, it's paying me to, to, to make money. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're actually running yourself, you know, somewhat like a bank. That's how banks do it. Only they can use leverage at a far different you know, level than what we're allowed to use leverage. Sure. Hey, I, you know, I, I get so excited about this. I sure hope our, our listeners do. Before we jump into talking about, let's say, an existing policy I or somebody else has, uh, let me just remind our listeners that, uh, especially those that just tuned in, uh, you're listening to the Wealthy and A Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. You've, you can listen to the earlier part if you did just jump on. Uh, that uh, earlier part you'll find, along with all of our shows in the archive on wealthdna.us. Our guest today is Thomas DeShooter, financial advisor and partner at Bloom Strategies in Vancouver. Our topic today is OPM and infinite banking. And by the way, if you did just tune in, uh, you will want to go back to the beginning of the show because you might be wondering, you're covering a lot of details, why do I want to know all this stuff? We did answer that key question, and we touched on that word again. It puts you in the driver's seat. Okay, Thomas, let, let's talk for a moment, uh, and then I will want to get back to your earlier comments on about insurability, but let's talk for a, a moment about an existing whole life policy. I happen to have one, but I think there's a lot of our listeners that uh, do would it be better to, if it's a whole life policy, has cash value, would it be better to cash it out and start a new policy that has, uh, if you will, it's optimized for this uh, infinite banking or that it is a mutual company? Or should I go ahead and try to set up uh, my infinite banking within that existing policy? Uh, so the, the short answer is it's probably not going to be in your best interest to cancel that policy, but okay. without having seen it, sure. how it's structured and, and, you know, what the cost is for the insurance, et cetera, it, it's hard to say. What I would say, uh, and, and we come across this with, with people who already have them in place is like, is look at it and go, look, if we're going to build you a banking system, we want this structured for the absolute most cash benefit to you, not to anybody else. And unfortunately, the one that you have currently was not set up that way. It was, you know, and, and so what we recommend is starting a new policy that is set up specifically for building banking systems. Um, currently, I have nine policies now that I am putting money into on a, on a regular basis for my banking system, because as cash as as cash becomes you know greater in my or or cash flow increases in my life, I add more policies. Okay, so you're not one of the uh, shoemakers kids with no no shoes. You uh, talk about insurance but don't have any. So I think that you just and you know you walk the talk. I guess is the the word I was looking for. Now many investors uh, like me bought policies while their kids were small, and then let's say uh, after uh, the kids grew up, the cash value has grown. 
Uh, and what they've done is they've stopped paying annual premiums. And that's uh, true in my case, too. I probably stopped paying them 15, 20 years ago. And the policy is, in essence, taking a loan to pay its own premiums. Do I need to pay off that loan and pay, you know, start paying annual premiums to take, uh, take full advantage of infinite banking on, on an existing policy? Um, so you don't need to pay off the loan because you've got the 90% threshold. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. What, I, what I would ask is if, if we're going to set up this banking system and this policy that you may own is perfect for it is why aren't we just continuing to add cash to it? Gotcha. Why aren't we continuing to increase your ownership in it? Um, and, you know, you bring up a, a great point about kids and maybe I could just go a little bit down that path. Sure. OK, so. You know, go back to August 2013, I read this book and I'm, you know, my mind is just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe nobody's told me about this in our industry. I was a bit angry actually at first because I'd sat in front of so many insurance people who had never told me about this. Um, First thing I did is I looked at my kids and went, who is the most inexpensive person to insure in that I, that I have an insurable interest in? And so there's either myself, my wife, my children, I don't have grandchildren or my business partner. And my kids were the most economically feasible to insure in terms of actual true insurance costs. And because they're below the age of 16, there's, you know, the medical, there is no real medical that's done on them. There's a couple of questions to answer, but they're pretty much insurable. And so the first thing I did was I took out two policies on my children and immediately started putting money into them. Within four months, I took out another two policies on my kids. Now, here's the great thing is my goal is to have, you know, four to five policies on my children. And the reason is, is that I have control over those policies. If I set up a trust for my kids, at some point, I have to give up that trust or lose control. Right. With the, in the case of these insurance policies, I never have to turn them over to my children. And if I do turn them over to my kids, it's not a deemed disposition in Canada by, rev- by, by CRA, by the accounting or the tax people. Because the death benefit is on them and I am their parent, I can transfer that wealth or that policy over to them without any tax implications. So when my kids are 30 to 40 years of age and they've, they've proven to me that they've got some financial acumen, I will turn a couple of these po- pol- policies over to them for their own banking systems. And there'll be some, you know, a considerable amount of cash value in there that they'll be able to access, right? So that, that's part of my goal. But in the interim, because I'm the owner of those policies, I get to use them however I want to use them. And I guess what you're getting at with, with putting it on them the cost of the insurance is relatively low. So if you put in a thousand dollars or ten thousand or fifty or a hundred thousand, uh, a very small portion of that is going toward the actual life insurance needs. The rest is building cash value. So what you've done is you've leveraged the fact that they're cheap to insure with, uh, and you therefore you get more cash, and you're controlling a policy that eventually kind of becomes their uh, inheritance. Correct, and. And, you know, and, and as far as an education goes, at some point, you know, my, I, you know, my daughters are now currently nine. So back then they were, they were seven years old. They're going to need money to go to school. So I'm now building out something in which we can actually have access to capital too, if we want it for that. No, oh, good point. And so then you would be borrowing, if you will, from your own policy going through the advance we talked about earlier, rather than getting a student loan or, uh, or taking uh, money that was normally already taxed out. Okay, very, very good point. Driver's uh, seat. 
<laughs> exactly, and I, I think that's uh, we got. We got to keep. There's not wrong, nothing wrong with continuing to mention that. Now, if I do have a policy and it's got a loan outstanding, and I decide I do want to cash it out, it's just not you know it's not not a cost effective uh, policy, and obviously I need to have mine checked as well. But uh, as I understand, if I do cash it out when it still has a loan, there actually could create a taxable event. So that the, these are the kinds of things you would then help a. Um, a client with to make sure that they don't do something dumb to try to uh, build infinite banking and in the meantime cause uh, cause themselves a taxable event correct yeah and and uh, because of the differences in the in the uh, tax rules between Canada and the US I, I'm I'm not going to go too far into oh, it no. but no no yeah, but these that, are the kinds of things you'd have to work with somebody on because they wouldn't necessarily know them and and the the insurance company that's you know you're cashing out of doesn't have a interest, vested interest to teach you yeah, and and that's why I'm suggesting people to people that, you know, if you're going to set up an infinite banking concept through your insurance, set it up with somebody who knows what they're doing, not somebody who said, oh, I read about that and I could set up the policy for you because I'm licensed to sell insurance. Mm-hmm. Definitely seek out somebody who is who has chosen to make this a viable part of their business because there are a lot of specifics to it and you want to make sure that everything is set up for the maximum benefit of you, not the insurance company or not the advisor who's going to generate um, a commission off the sale of that insurance, right? You want everything to be set up for you as the, as the purchaser of that policy. Okay. Now, one of the things you've, you've touched on uh, is the fact that I can put the insurance on somebody else. I control it, and it uh, can be lower-cost insurance. So if I'm not insurable, if I'm either, uh, uh, you know, have health problems or uh, beyond a certain age that I can't get insurance, what you're saying is really anybody I have an insurable interest. So maybe my ex-wife isn't one of those that I could do it on, but uh, uh, kids, family members, uh, spouse, all of those would be uh, places I can do it, correct? Correct. And, uh, and if you have a corporation, the corporation could uh, set up policies on uh, key personnel inside the company, um, other uh, stockholders inside the company, other directors inside the company. We have policies on some of our staff that the company actually owns and, and is building up capital for our business to actually access. Well said. You know, I would have forgotten about that aspect completely, so I do appreciate you you adding that. Now, if I plan to invest, let me say it's a hundred thousand dollars, whether it's Canadian or, or U.S. Yes, there's a difference, but you know, a substantial amount into such a policy to start this infinite banking. Am I better off buying two, three, maybe four policies, or am I better off doing one larger policy? Uh, so, that all depends on what what the parameters are for all of the money you're going to be talking about using, because there's a couple of different structures that whole life can operate under. One of them being uh, designed for immediate, you know, large amounts of cash buildup, but maybe not as efficient later down the road. And then there's, there's policies that are set up more for estate planning where in the beginning, the cash buildup isn't as, uh, generous as it is in the later years of that policy. So it really comes down to what are we trying to accomplish and is this going to be the only amount of money you're ever going to have to be putting into this system. So there's a there's a little bit of uh, work on our part that we need to do in, in pulling out of our clients, you know, what is it that they want to try to accomplish and 
maybe a little bit of financial planning background comes in there for us because we can, you know, we can ask the questions we need to sort of figure out what is the best starting point for this. Yeah, as you were saying this, I was about to say it's kind of like doing a little financial plan on this particular uh, particular money. One of the comments we have here from from one of our listeners, uh, and it's well said. Let's say you've got a two hundred thousand dollar policy and you've borrowed a hundred thousand of that or of the of the. Uh, um, you know, of, of, of the available cash in it. In essence, I still have a two hundred thousand dollar policy, but at the t- if I happen to die soon after taking that money out, I already took a hundred. Uh, I should have probably not used fifty percent. That makes it a little a little confusing. But I pulled out that hundred. I'm now I now have it available already in cash form. Uh, my two hundred thousand policy is only going to be paying me out the remaining hundred thousand of. Uh, of insurable coverage because I, I've already took my, took my hundred, so it's not like by taking out a hundred, I now have three hundred thousand dollars available uh, at the time of death. I still have my two hundred. It's just that I don't get all of that in, uh, in additional cash since I pulled part of it out. Correct? Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit cheeky. They're not going to get any of it. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, the, benefi- the beneficiaries. Uh, very good point. Very good. Point. We'll get the remaining value. Of that minus minus the loan, right? So you're going to have your right. your overall death benefit, and if the policy is structured correctly, uh, the death benefit should be growing over time as well, right? If, if 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 you build the if you build this policy for maximum efficiency to build up the most cash you can get in it, you're going to be adding a rider that increases uh, buying additional death benefit, so that you're you're getting more and more share of dividends as you go along, and so. You know, you may have originally purchased a, per, uh, a policy with a two hundred thousand dollar death benefit, but mm-hmm. twenty years from now, that death benefit could have grown to four hundred and fifty thousand, mm-hmm. and so you borrowed a hundred thousand out. But that hundred thousand would be paid off, and the three fifty would then be paid out to your beneficiaries. Oh, okay. So what you just touched on something I wasn't aware of. So let's say I bought a hundred thousand dollar policy, and probably my insurance uh, value today, many, many, many years later, is maybe one hundred twenty. So it's barely crept up. Is is what you're saying is there is a rider available in in some of these cases where I can actually have that insurable value ramp up pretty quickly. Yeah, you could. You can um, in Canada. It's uh, it's it's not a rider. It's just something where I say to you know have the dividends by paid up additions of life insurance. Gotcha. Okay, so that gotcha. I'm I'm constantly building up. It's like it's like a, a dividend a drip right dividend reinvestment mm-hmm. program on shares. You're doing the same thing with your dividend. You're having it go in and buy more and more value so that you have a bigger share of the pool of money that's generating a return. Right inside inside of how the insurance company works. So you can, in my understanding, is in U.S. insurance, that's a separate rider that you can attach to your policy and have the death benefit continue to climb over time, so that you're actually keeping up with inflation as well, right? I understand. So, so that this paid-up addition or writer or something, at least we now know the buzzwords to ask questions about, depending on, on the jurisdiction. And somebody in Europe will have a very different setup uh, where insurance tends to be fairly expensive. But that's a whole other story. Uh, let's before, because we, I don't want to run out of time, make sure we cover some real important stuff here. Each insurance company has some risk. It could go bankrupt, theoretically. I know a lot of them around, been around for 150 years, and they're solid financially and you know tend to be a, a good business but it could happen how do i check the relative safety of one insurance company versus another 
you, I, you know, the only thing I've ever found on that is to check Fitch, Moody's or Standard and Poor's. And then you kind of have to have a PhD in understanding how they actually assess the risk of the insurance companies. Mm-hmm. But typically you want to, you know, you do want to have something that is long, long, long standing. You know, the longer that the insurance company has been around and the longer they've decided to stay mutual as well. And, and in the U.S., I, I, I don't want to, uh, I can only give the perspective of how we rate it in Canada. Is in, in Canada, the insurance companies have to have a minimum of 150% of capital against all potential payouts. Okay. So there's a fair, okay. fair amount of excess um, uh, capital there required as part of their reserves. Okay. Now, right. to and, the extent and the company, let's say it's, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, and so the so with Equitable Life, the reason we like them is they have 221% in reserve, right? So we feel very, very secure that they are managing this with the best interest of their of their um, participating policyholders, you know, their mutual owners of the business. So. Okay, and best interest was not a pun intentionally. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, just making up for the uh, for your earlier comment about you won't get the money anyway. Uh, <laughs> let's let's uh, talk about uh, let's say the insurance company does. I mean, things happen. Okay, something something goes wrong. Would it therefore make sense that the amount of money I actually physically put into the policy, forget the death benefit or any of that kind of stuff, the amount I put in would be below, let's say, my st- state or provincial uh, insurance guarantee funds? Would that would that be something useful to do so that, like in your case, I might have nine policies if I'm going to end up putting in, you know, 50 or, uh, uh, I mean, uh, 50,000 in each policy so that I'm not over a, a state guarantee. Would that make some sense? Uh, yeah, I would I would look at that in, in terms of uh, the same way I would look at having a CD, right? I'm, I'm not sure what the guarantees right. are. I know in, in Canada, the the government guarantees accounts up to, um, you know, $100,000. So if somebody wants a million dollars of GICs, guaranteed investment certificates through banks, we might split that up between a bunch of different providers. Right. Same. same and I, and I always add, they actually give you a second guarantee, which is the fact that your money will be worth less than what you put in. Um, yes. Inflation and taxes. But uh, that's besides the point. Very important question. Let's remind our listeners how they contact you and how they learn more about Bloom Strategies and Infinite Banking. So, yeah, they can uh, look for us at bloomstrategies.ca, B-L-O-O-M, all one word, bloomstrategies.ca. And my email is tdeshooter at bloomstrategies.ca. And uh, last name is spelled D-E-S-C-H-U-T-T-E-R. And they can also uh, look for the Nelson Nash Institute um, or uh, infinitebanking.org are great resources to um, find a practitioner in your area, but also just to do some reading for yourself. We've covered a lot of aspects, Thomas, on on infinite banking. And and are there some key ones you'd want to emphasize or maybe even add that we didn't get a chance to cover? Uh, Well, there's a couple of things that I found interesting as the the further I've I've delved you know uh, into this strategy and and one is just how the the banking system is set up which is you know kind of baffles me how that's not talked about and how we're not educated in school about how banking actually works and how mortgages work so it leads me to believe that maybe they don't really want us to know and I'm not sure who they are but Somebody does not want this information to be out into the open. That's always kind of struck me as odd since, since um, reading up on this. And uh, 
And I guess the other is that when you look at um, some of the banks themselves, and Bank of America is a great example, is they have these policies in place that they've had on prior employees, directors, and CEOs as wow. part of their as part of their tier one capital ratio. That's how rock solid they are. Hmm. They use them. They use these policies themselves, but they don't tell their clients about it. Wow. Very good point. I have to agree with you totally on that. Thomas, really enjoyed having you on the show. I think you covered a lot of good aspects. Obviously, it opens up questions for some for our listeners on other things. Uh, but, uh, you know, with that, I you know, really want to thank you for, for being on the show. Maybe we'll have a chance, in the, especially if we have a lot of listener questions, to, um, you know, to have you back on. We cover some of those questions in a little bit more detail uh, and to make sure that everybody understands this concept. But really appreciate your, uh, your time and being here. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Okay. And at the beginning of the show, I mentioned we'd focus on another source of OPM that 90%, 98% of the population is not even aware of. So if you weren't already among the, the elite 2% who are aware of this OPM source, you now are. My next challenge to you, when will you start taking advantage of this new source of money? Today? Next year? Or when? That's why we have this show to get you started. And I like the key word that uh, answered the question, why would I want to do this? Put you in the driver's seat of your own financial plan. And a key question you may have been wondering during the show, what types of life insurance policies do you already have? Could that insurance be the starting point for infinite banking? Those are clearly important questions and worth tracking down the answers before our next show. Now, I always uh, tell my wife and kids that the next policy we buy will be on one of them. I now have another good reason, but uh, part of it is I want to make sure that I'm worth more alive than dead. Either way, when I travel for, uh, when I used to travel a lot for business, I always preferred to pack my own bags just in case. We don't already know uh, in many cases, and then the question is, do you know how much you're spending on interest payments each year? It might be worth reviewing those amounts while you're looking at your insurance policies. And I'm not suggesting you pay off those debts. I never do unless they're high-cost debts. If they're low-cost debts, they're great fuel for your uh, leveraging your portfolio. On the other hand, maybe if it's possible to take some of the loans from your own insurance policy and benefit from those interest payments and continue to earn the dividends, rather than paying some financial institution at interest, why not switch? I certainly hope you enjoyed and saw the value in the two quotes I shared at the beginning of the show. The first is, I love money more than things it can buy. But what I love more than money is other people's money. And that is from Lawrence Garfield, a corporate raider. And once your kids are grown and you know that you're completely healthy, consider canceling your life insurance policy. Susie Orman, and as I said, I'm not a big fan of hers. And hopefully you now see how simplistic that advice from Susie Orman is. If you own cash value life insurance, whole life specifically, while your kids were growing up, it now has significant cash value, and it's growing faster than it did at the very beginning, and it could be a great source for infinite banking. And remember, I'm not saying Susie Arman's advice is necessarily bad. I just don't think it's appropriate for you, me, or most of our listeners. Regular listeners know our objective of the Wealth DNA Radio Show is to share the fundamentals of investing, provide some great ideas for building your wealth, and to keep your... Uh, 
least help you find, if, uh, if you already don't know them, some sources of low-cost OPM to leverage your portfolio. Our mission is to help you and one million other people become millionaires. It's much easier for someone to be in that group if they're aware of the financial tools available and they're willing to put themselves in the driver's seat. Now, if you miss part of today's show, you want to re- recommend it to some friends, the link in the announcement we sent out will take you back to the archive version. And of course, you can always find the past shows on WealthDNA.us. I'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., Residential Real Estate Fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, for helping us put together this show. They help many people invest that OPM for a nice profit. Next Wealth DNA Radio Show will be the fourth Monday of August, and that is Monday, August 24th, 9 a.m. Arizona time. Same place, same time. We plan to discuss bankruptcy from an investor's perspective, although we don't have confirmation from our guest quite yet. As soon as we do, it'll be up on our website, and that website, again, uh, is WealthDNA.us. We keep the full lineup of guests and topics, both future and past. If you have some comments or questions, haven't received my emails, reminding you of the show, send an email to ron at wealthdna.us. That's me. And uh, the other way is, of course, you can follow The Ronald, all one word, on Facebook or Twitter. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing, checking your life insurance policies, and reviewing how much you spend on interest. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started. <laughs>